that is, the nature of God and the power of God, if you seek God, you will find God. So, in Romans, you can open your Bibles there, and I've told you, I think maybe Romans, it's at least one of the most misunderstood books in all of Scripture, Revelation notwithstanding. Scripture that's written in form of a narrative, in other words, God's telling you a story when you're reading it, a video's playing in your mind, is so very helpful. Romans is not a narrative. Explicitly for the first eight chapters, what it is, is it's a theological treatise. He is making a presentation of something. 9 through 11, he gives you a historical example about how to reject what God offers in regard to covenant, so in his language in Romans, righteousness, how you could reject it. And then 12 through 15, he says, okay, church, now that this is what we understand, here's how you live that out. Here is the power of the gospel in your lives. This is God's plan for you. This is what you do. This is how you treat each other. Do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds in view of God's mercy. I just spent eight chapters explaining it. In view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as living sacrifices. Romans 12, 1. And 12 to 15 is what that's manifested like within the church. So if the church will pay attention to and listen to these first eight chapters, that's God's power. Because the first eight chapters are a revelation of the gospel being a revelation. I know I used the word twice. It is... God's power. And we understand God's power to save, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. I understand that. But he's not writing it to people that need to be saved. Is he? The last was a rhetorical question, Paul. Or was he? There's so much that he does. I want I want to, no, just let me, hang on a second. What, what he gives here in the gospel, and this, this, this is a summation of all this, the church desperately needs chapters one through eight. This is not stuff you can do without. We need to understand as Christians I know we do because God gave it to us. He gave us everything we need for life and godliness. This is part of it. We need to understand, not just, not just to believe ignorantly, but to understand. The secret things belong to God. Moses said, fifteen hundred years before this was ever written. I understand that. This isn't a secret thing. Paul said it was secret for a long time, and then guess what? For in the gospel, a righteousness from God has been manifested, is revealed. God has laid it out here in evident public view for examination and understanding. I want you to know what God had to do. I want you to know what God does. I want you to know what had to be done. I'm speaking in present tense for the apostle. You see what I'm saying? I'm extending this to you. It appears to me after 30 years of study of this letter, this is what he's presenting. He wants the church to know evidently how God does what he does. 
We took a good while one night and talked about the gospel, the gospel in Paul's life. Really, what we're talking about is Jesus Christ in Paul's life, but Jesus Christ came to him, appeared to him, changed his life, taught him, washed him from his sins, and explained to him everything that he must suffer for the sake of the kingdom. And gave him exceedingly great revelations, thus the book of Romans. But that is... That is the message. And so the gospel, the message about Jesus Christ being the son of God, I mean, we're, Jesus is the son of God. Well, what does that mean? What are the implications of that? It does not say that he is God's little boy. It says that he is God in the flesh. Gospel is the declaration of that. What do you mean? If he's not the Son of God, then his death on the cross was just a public execution of a Jew. No, his cross was more than that. His cross was God's justice taking place in space time history. It's not just, re- not just justice, but it is redemption. The need to be redeemed, the price paid. In the days of old, the kinsman redeemer, when, when foreign forces came and took and they, and they held captive, they took his, his booty, they took his slave, they took off in bondage. The people of God, the kinsman redeemer would go and he would pay the price and he would redeem them. He would pay the price for them to belong and be functional in the family again. Well, that's a seed God planted 15 centuries before Jesus ever came to this world. That's, that's a deal in here. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. What's the first thing he mentions himself as right there? Bond servant, okay. What is he? In his mind, what is he? Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. Set apart for the gospel. The gospel, whatever the gospel is, and I know we've understood scripture for years. We still, I know, but let the letter say what it says. And he says, set apart for the gospel. The gospel he promised when and where? Where did this message of redemption, where was this instigated? Where was this foretold? Where was this testified to? Where was this bore witness to? Where was this first initially promised? Did he not tell Abraham when Abraham had no children and he said, count the stars, I can't. And he said, that's it. When Abram said, you've you've given me all these riches. You've given me this great blessing. And what am I to do? Who will I give it to? What will I do? Give it to a servant? No. No, Abram, here's the thing. Even though you're childless, you're 100 years old, you have a 90-year-old wife with a dead womb, she doesn't even have a cycle, yet in the midst of that impossibility, you will have a son. Through you, Abram, I will bless the whole earth. Ultimately, brothers and sisters, he's talking about this. Paul wrote a detailed argument in Galatians, and he said, seed, Abraham, through your seed, capital S, seed, meaning one. I will bless all, not the Jewish nation. He turned Abram into the Jewish nation. He made him the father of many nations. He can call him the father of many nations before he ever has a child. You know why God can do that? 
because he alone gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. We better keep that in mind. When we're working this thing called faith out in our life, when, when we're seeking to impart to others the nature of our God, and if we're just trying to bring people to knowledge, if we're only trying to bring people to knowledge, morality, this is my transition, Jim. If we're just trying to pe- bring people to knowledge and morality and religion, they'll be just as empty. In regard to what? What do you mean, empty in regard to what? Righteousness. This is the specific term that the lawyer has chosen. Paul, the Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, his family had been doing lawyer work a long time. And he said, he makes a transition here. We had this introduction. He talks about the gospel. He brags on the gospel. He, I long. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers. I have planned many times to come to you, but I have been prevented from doing so until now in order that I might have a great harvest among you just as I have had among the other Gentiles. Now, in the church of Rome, there's two kinds of people. Guess what they are? Gentilish and Jewish. That's it. That's the only two kinds there are. Happens to be the two kinds of people Paul's obligated to. Wise and the foolish, Greeks and non-Greeks. Jews and non-Jews. What is he doing here? From chapter, from chapter 1, verses 1, and, and I permitted, I know I present this stuff emphatically. I'm trying to learn to say, it appears to me, or it has dawned on me, but 1, 1 through 17 is the longest introduction I can find Paul giving in a letter. And let me tell you, that's an introduction. The gospel called him, saved him. It's through Jesus Christ that he has received grace and apostleship. Why did he receive grace and apostleship? Down there about verse 6 or so. I received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles. All the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. The reason people misunderstand the book of Romans is the reason we do the rest of Scripture is because we take it out of context and we cut it up. And if you just want to cut stuff God up, said, you can paste it in a way and make God say stuff God had never said yet. You especially don't want to do this with the book of Romans. Here, follow the arguments. So the gospel's good, the gospel's prepared Paul, it's saved Paul, it's saved them, it's called them, it's calling all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And I don't mean arbitrarily, I don't mean arbitrary faith, I'm talking about faith in a person, and he will define that clearly for the next seven chapters. Not faith however you want to say faith is, no, faith in this person named Jesus. In 2 Samuel 7, 12, he was promised. He is the son of David. As to his human nature was the descendant of David. I will put one of your descendants on the throne and he will reign and to his kingdom there will be no end. That's who he's talking about. Not just that, he was declared to be the son of David because you follow the lineage, Matthew 1, 1. He's the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's very interesting. We'll get to that in chapter 4. The first man called a Hebrew, Abraham. Is that an identifying mark for anybody in the Jewish nation? Uh Uh-huh. Every time time the Pharisees come after Jesus, what do they get on his base? They get over here and they go, oh, you can't get us now. Because who is their father? Every time, that's their appeal. Hmm. 
was the greatest king in Israelite history. Every other king that came after him, what does it say? He followed in the ways of his father David or he rejected. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and forsook the ways of his father David. Was David ever a king's daddy? No. But they were supposed to be the epitome of the people of what David was. Protect them, love them, expand them. Jesus is the son of David, isn't he? Does that mean daddy's, David's his daddy? No. He's David's little boy? Uh-uh. It means he is David. He is in fellow with David. He is. He is. Not just the physical descendant, though he is the physical descendant, but he is the son of David. Remember Matthew 21, we talked about here a while back, a few months ago, about verse 9 or so. And when Jesus comes into Jerusalem the last time, and they throw down their cloaks and they throw down the palm branches, and what are they shouting? Hosanna, save us. And what do they call him? Son of David. They're acknowledging right there, who is he? He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. So Paul's presenting this for in the gospel, a right, I'm not ashamed of it because it's the power of God for Jews or Gentiles, either one, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, a righteousness that is literally from faith unto faith, ek faith, Ace faith, that sign right back there, that one over there, exit. We get our English word. The Greek word is ek, means this way out. Ace is into. From out of faith, into faith. The wrath of God's being revealed. Did he just change subjects right there? The righteousness from God is revealed. In the gospel, okay? Did he just change subjects right here in verse 18? Has he been talking about the wrath of God all through these first 17 verses? Uh Uh-uh. He's been talking about two things. Read, read, read real quickly, read verses 1 through 17. Many times you can in the next, say, 14 seconds. What words does he say over and over? Find me some words he repeats at least three times, and I'm not talking about articles and modifiers. Give me some main things there. How many times does he say the word gospel? More than a little bit. How many times does he say Righteousness. How many times does he say righteousness in this last English sentence? How many times? I mean, several times right here in verse 17. Righteousness of God is revealed. Righteousness, it's by faith from first to last. Okay? Subject change. Well, kind of. It's another, book, it's, another, it's another point on the outline. If you want to outline it, this is the main point. Changing the matter from the righteousness of God. Would the righteousness of God deserve wrath? Does righteousness bear the weight of God's wrath? Does righteousness do wrath? Is righteousness condemned? But the wrath of God's being revealed. I thought the righteousness of God was being revealed. It is in the gospel. Is the wrath of God being revealed? Uh Uh-huh. New subject here. The The wrath of God's being revealed. It's the wrath of God against what? What is it God's against? That's it. Unrighteousness. 
unrighteousness. The wrath of God is being revealed against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And I told you the other day, the word he says there, mine says wickedness, godlessness and wickedness. He didn't say harmatia. He didn't say people made some mistakes and missed the mark. This is unrighteousness, adikia. This is against what is righteous. This is rebellion. Okay? So it gives us that. And then I said, apparently, it appears to me. Oh, well, I didn't mean to erase that yet. Paul's a lawyer. It might help you to think of this as court in session. Court's in session, Paul. What do you got to say? He was he was grew up in the city of Tarsus. He's educated. Acts 17, when he's, when he's uh, at the meeting of the Areopagus, the greatest minds on the planet, and they just sit around and discuss all the latest and greatest ideas, and Paul starts po- quoting the poets. He's pulling songs off the radio these people listen to, and he's quoting them. Don't tell me he's had his head stuck in the sand. No, he knows how the world works. He's educated at the feet of Gamaliel under Jewish law. I understand that. But he's quoting their own poets. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Hmm. So you put men in session, what are they going to do? I'll give you a hint. They hadn't changed much in 2,000 years. You just don't know. What are you, you're trying to point out that we need something, Paul? All mankind is in need of something. I don't know if you know all the stuff we know. Well, you knew plenty to start with. And these Gentile pagans that knew all this stuff, or although they knew God, did, it, did one family get off the boat? Mm-hmm. And there wasn't an atheist in the lot, was there? No, they saw. They knew. Did they accept it? Well, evidence would point the other direction for some of them. They sure missed a lot. But did they understand? Although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him because that would be what we're praying for Jeremy for. They didn't seek they just rebelled. And, and Paul's, Paul's point is their knowledge still left them in unrighteousness. I want to try to be clear about this. This is what he's presenting. Because what is needed is righteousness. Evidently, that's what's revealed in the gospel. Why don't we go with that? Well, you don't know all the stuff we know. What I know is you didn't accomplish righteousness. Well, you don't understand the standard of morals that that we we have manufactured and we produce and we preach. Paul said, I know this, you don't practice what you preach. 2, 1 to 16. They don't practice what they preach. That's 118 to 32. This is 2, 1 to 16. And now, tonight, 2.17 to 3.8. They had knowledge. It It didn't bring them to righteousness. They've got morals. I don't care if they're Greeks or Jews or what. They're just, you know, well, listen. Now, we don't steal from people and we don't. Paul said, you don't. You do too. You don't keep, you don't keep the standards that you preach. So don't tell me you're doing a pretty good job. You're going, well, I think we'll be all right. No. And we're not talking about in all men's effort. 
Knowledge has failed them. Their morals has failed them. This is hard for everybody to hear, but it's in here for a reason. Where did Jews get their religion? Well, is it not from God? The law of Moses, is that not the very word of God? Well, they were busted way before. The Pharisees didn't come till way later. They're just there a few centuries before Jesus. The Pharisees came about because after Babylon's destroyed them and they spend 70 years in captivity and they come and, and God rebuilds, takes the pagan Cyrus and pays for uh, He'll lay the foundation of my temple and rebuild my city. So when they get the temple rebuilt and then they get the city restored and finally rewalled with Nehemiah, and they have decided we will never again as a people go into gross idolatry like we did. Thus they got people who don't do anything but study the Bible all day every day and make arguments for it. Well, you think that would have got some righteousness accomplished Paul said, get the list out. There's a whole list. He said, I know it. My daddy knew it. My granddaddy knew it. Get it out. As for legalistic righteousness, Philippians chapter 3, he said, I was faultless. Huh. Let's read. 2.17, beginning. Oh, turn to me pages. Okay. Now you... If you call yourself a Jew. See, he's talking to the Gentiles, 118.32 for sure. Could still be talking to the Gentiles, 2.1-16. But those that are, well, we're the moralists. No, you didn't accomplish righteousness. Now, if you call yourself a Jew, I mean, it sounds to me like he's talking about the Jews. Because he's talking about the Jews. If you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, did they have a law from God? Yeah. Did he give them that law so they could brag? Did that, did that law in its provision provide them relationship with God? Yeah. It's very interesting, though, to make a big deal out of that. But no, it is a big deal. I can't make too big a deal out of it. What? So how's that work? How's the law of Moses work for them? If they if they were going to be in covenant fellowship with God, who is God? What does he have that men, regardless of all their efforts, do not have? And he doesn't mean that in religion they don't have it. His point with all this, knowledge, morals, and religion is Men on their own do not accomplish righteousness. I'm presenting to you that's what he said from 118 to 38. And he takes the very things and people still pull this kind of stuff out today. How are you and the Lord doing? Well, I've been going to church four times on Sunday. What? What? Now he gave them, the Jews have a God-given covenant. They had a God-given, that's, that's, from the, that's from God. When he gave it, it, basically that's a miracle, folks. You don't have a board of directors sitting around thinking all this stuff up. They don't have a clue. Moses goes to the mountain for 40 days and he comes back and everybody's like, what on earth? 
And then he's just writing it down fast as he can. After the Decalogue, after those ten words, after those words of the covenant, after those ten commandments. Even when he gave them the ten commandments, here's the ten absolute laws. What did that do for Israel? It condemned them? And did it demand, are they ten suggestions or imperative commands? No, they're commands. And as he is speaking to them this law, what's it doing to them? They're scared to death. They begged no, Moses, you speak to us. God is killing us here. They begged no further word be spoken. It was such a, it was such a terrific sight, a, a filled with terror sight, even Moses was trembling with fear. And they are scared to death and at a distance, Exodus chapter 20 said. And God said, good, that's what I wanted. People be afraid of me and stay away from me. No, that's not what he wanted. Those Ten Commandments are the bad news, brothers and sisters. Why is that bad news? Why are the Ten Commandments bad news for everybody? If you want to even bump that up to two million people, I don't care. There's 1.5 or 2. There's a whole bunch. There's 600,000 men. There's a whole bunch of people he brought out of Egypt, plus a bunch of Egyptians came with him. He just scared a whole bunch of people to death. I'm using that phrase. What what are those laws demanding? Righteousness. I ran out of room again. Righteousness. That is the thing demanded by law, period. The principle, the Ten Commandments, any law. Legal binding system upon people that demands perfect performance, condemns the violator at the first infraction. It's not American baseball. Three strikes and you're out on adultery. Uh Uh-uh. One strike, you're out on any of it. Demands perfect performance. Cannot justify anybody. What can those Ten Commandments do to fix the people standing there who have broken them? Some of them, you got to know, some people in that crowd probably broke all of them. What can they do? Let's form a club. I tell you, me and Paul are going to be in a club. Well, we never did break number four, tell you that much. Now, eight and nine, we're, what are you going to do? Righteousness has been articulately demanded in the law. The same is the same presentation Paul's given here. When you want to consider righteousness, and God's either righteous, brothers and sisters, or he is not. Is he right? Is God right? Is God eternal? So sometimes, just to get it in streetwalk language, I say God is right all the, but he's above time, so that's not really good illustration, is it? God's just right. So if I'm going to go from being wrong to being with him, and I don't mean making a mistake, I mean being unrighteous, adikia, against his righteousness. If I'm going to go from being his enemy, chapter 5, If I'm going to go from being his enemy to being his friend, something happened, and I guarantee you I didn't do it. That's 118 to 320 in a nutshell. Righteousness, man didn't perform it. In spite of all he knows, in spite of all he he presents, 
in spite of his religious practice. So we'll read on here a little bit. Questions. Let me just pause. I, I realize every now and then it dawns again on me. I spent 30 years scratching and clawing and thinking and writing and arguing and listening to this over and over and over. And that's why we're reviewing as much as we can all the time. But I, ha- I, I could care less about presenting some lessons in, brothers and sisters, this saves souls. This keeps people from turning their back on God throwing up their hands and giving up. Now, you don't have to be able to articulate. I've spent 30 years studying this. This this particular letter right here saved my life on a cold December night, 1992. I've told you all that before. And all all I got out of all that, because I was at an absolute point of hopelessness, and I knew, I knew this was not me. Any way you sliced it, it was evident publicly. I wanted, I wanted to do right. I tried to do right. I prayed to do right. I cried to do right. I, I did everything I could try to do. And I'm just left with me. And I thought before I throw my Bible in the trash... Maybe there's something I don't understand. Because if all, if all God has is law, 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 you know, with some subpoints under each one, man, he don't have to go on. He had me right there at that one. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, we also rejoice in his suffering. You know what? Two words I got out of Romans 5, first five verses, suffering and hope. And I thought, you got to be kidding me. Those are first grade words, and I could savvy that. That means understand. Y'all get that? Sabe. We short. We, we don't say sabe in Texas. We say savvy. I savvied suffering. And all my suffering was my fault. And I knew it. Wasn't nothing I could do about it. And I knew that too. You telling me there's suffering that ends in hope? Whoa, hey, time out. Because I have always missed that. Specifically, we'll get there in chapter five. Guess what? When God imparts righteousness through the gospel, guess what suffering in this world cannot do? Cannot defeat it. In fact, God just takes the suffering in this world. Suffering produced perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Does that sound like from faith unto faith? It sure is. This is a perpetual motion machine, and it is powered by God. Paul calls court into session so all men can hush about what they know, about how moral they are. Why would people be spouting about morals in regard to God anyway? Just like he said about the Gentiles, 215. No, they know. They know. Just because they didn't have the Decalogue, because they didn't have the written commandment from God, he said they show. When they put people in jail for stealing and robbing and killing, he said they show that the requirements of the law are written on their heart. That's from God. And the Jews, the Jews get off our back. Man, we worship exactly how God said to worship. We do everything exactly how God said to do. Oh, really? Oh, really? Let's read. Uh, Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God... If you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law. That's the word of God for them. If you are convinced, I mean, evidently, you're a guide for the blind. All these poor blind souls just need me to instruct them. 
If you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, I mean, they're just wondering, I got to get to them because I'm going to shine for them. It may sound like both sides of his mouth, but what he's getting everybody is a big bucket full of humility. An instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. Did you see those? You're, you're the master. You're the teacher. You're the light. You're the... Now, don't just take that categorically, but what's he opposing right here? I'm suggesting to you that he's opposing arrogance. Not in regard to the stock market or the Roman public transportation system. What kind of arrogance? Religious arrogance. It's nothing personal. They're just better than everybody else. They're just better than everybody else. God forbid we as Christians ever. I am better off in Jesus. I am better off than anybody else on the planet who's outside of him. But I'm not better brothers and sisters, and anybody. Neither are you. We're not. The word of God heard in context, the message of God does not ever promote arrogance. 327. Where then is boasting? The gospel got God's work done and salvation brought and all this. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing law? No. See, he goes back. I told you, he's a lawyer. Every little thing he says here, he'll expand for several verses or a chapter later on. No. No. If you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You say people should not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you make money off of it? Do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, now this is God's word to his covenant-related people. See, they want to say the Jewish people that are in opposition, and Paul would say, Brothers and sisters, Jews, what y'all need is righteousness. Oh, you don't understand, Paul. You want to get the chart out? Because we'll check off the boxes. Paul said, come on. Let's think about that a minute. Really? You want to start checking boxes with God? You don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. I forgot what I was going to write down. Okay. I'm sorry. God's word to them. So what the Jews, I know what I was going to say now, what the Jews, that's their appeal right there. God spoke to us. As for this fellow talking about Jesus, we don't know where you came from. We know God spoke to Moses. Jesus said, you're trying to stand on Moses and you know who it is that's condemning you? He said, it's not me, it's Moses. Because Moses wrote about me, and yet you refuse. You refuse to come to me. That's not a Jewish problem. It's a sinner problem. You refuse to come to me to have eternal life. Abraham's children? If you were Abraham's children, you'd act like Abraham. That would be an idiom for you. You would be a representation of Abraham. As it is, you're a representation of your daddy the devil. You're trying to kill me. Abraham didn't kill people that talked for God. He, didn't go, he wasn't in the business of killing prophets. They're trying to lay claim to law. They're trying to lay claim to the religious, religious privilege that God had given them. And Paul said, you better watch it because that religious privilege and everything God gave the Jews was a privilege. Chapter 9, we'll get into it. 
the temple worship, the promises, the patriarchs, the ancestry, all of that that he gave you, the covenant, the promises, the very oracles of God. He said that didn't, that didn't accomplish righteousness. So Jewish as you may be, you're in desperate need of righteousness. Gentilish as you may be, you're in desperate need of righteousness. And he just holds a session in court here, as it were, to accomplish that. Everybody's what? Guilty of what? Unrighteousness. I need to know more. It's not going to help you. I need to do a better job. It's not going to help you. I need to get some more religion. It's not going to help you. If you're going to take that and perform and accomplish righteousness on your own, the key here, the key here, why he's talking about knowledge, morality, and religion, why he's talking about that is men, men are trying to Man wants to stand on his own. Know anybody that doesn't? My wife will tell you the worst thing in the world. What's one of the worst things in the world, honey, I hate to do? Call somebody. Well, that's true just in general. But call somebody. I'm giving her the talk on telephone sign. Call somebody and ask them for. Y'all don't know that. Quit giving her hints. That's every man in here. (laughs) And it's not just the males. If supper's cooked at my house, guess who wants That's a bad illustration. We, no. This is an arrogance problem. It's fine and dandy if we're talking about learn to tie your shoes or, or pay your bills or whatever. But when you start talking about righteousness, you better get disconnected from this real quick. Because you won't do it. I'll come to God without it. You will not. You will not. Because God's absolute. God is absolute. Absolute. Okay. So, circumcision. Here's a little bit of explanation here. He said, you dishonor God by breaking the law. Verse 24, as it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. He said, if you'd have just kept my covenant, if you'd have just paid attention to it, kept me, and let me be your God and you be my people, he said, the whole world would look at you and rub its chin and go, where, what? What nation has ever had its God to be with them as Jehovah is with Israel? He said, and they will want some of it. So he gave them this covenant of the law and that would have, if they would have listened to it and let it humble them and they would have come to God accordingly through its sacrifice, through its priesthood, that's the basis of the law he gave them, Hebrews uh, 7 verse 11. Ten commandments didn't do them any good and they were scared to death and at a distance. I didn't complete that thought. And God saw that and said, guess what? Build for me an altar. Problemo solved. And there, from that point of intercession, there I will come to you. You can't come to me. I will come to you and will bless you. I've given you the law, but I'm giving and providing for you the intercession you need. And he gave them all that. He just didn't explain the reality that was behind it. So we'll read, let me finish this up. Circumcision has value. Why would he bring up circumcision? Who's always bragging about circumcision? Worried death about it in every regard. The Jews. Now, as soon as they became Christians, they quit worrying about it, right? 
Who's first persecutors of the church? Who's the biggest enemy of the church first century to split it and destroy it? Well, before A.D. 70, Jews. Jews. Circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you have become as though you have not been circumcised. All this is in regard to what? Righteousness. So you're telling me you have right standing before God because you were circumcised. Could they be in covenant without circumcision, the Jewish people? In fact, in Deuteronomy, didn't Moses say, at eight, when that boy is eight, day, eight days old, when he is eight days old, if he is not circumcised, he has broken, guess what? Covenant that he was already in. As soon as he was born, he was born into covenant. And Moses said, if he's not circumcised at eight days old, now he has broken covenant. And then you got a whole slew of stuff you got to do. Just circumcise the kid on the eighth day. Why? It marks his redemption. It marks his covenant. His what? Relationship with God. Hmm. Paul said, y'all have so twisted that around, you act like if somebody's had surgery, nothing else was required. No, that's not true. If, if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, oh wait, they weren't covenant-related children of God, but they kept the law's requirements, Will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? Do you think God's interested that much in foreskin? Or was there something else behind it? Even the prophet said circumcision is not circumcision. It wasn't outward circumcision. God commanded that. He expected it. He commanded it. He wanted it. But what was the real? Well, we'll read on. The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who even though you have the written code and circumcision are a lawbreaker. A man is not a Jew. Let's put it in sidewalk terms here, Paul. Okay, verse 28. A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly. That's almost principle there. Nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. It never was. It never was just supposed to be outward and physical. Uh, no, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is really circumcision of what. It's a cutting away, a removal. That's what the word means. A removal of what? Flesh and worldliness and selfishness. Not from the physical body, from the heart. By the spirit, not by the written code, such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. Let me just read a little bit more. What then? See, he knows the arguments people are going to come up with. What then? Is there no advantage in being a Jew? What value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, they've been entrusted with the very oracles of God. Are you saying, are you, are you trying, Paul said, are you going to try to make, are you trying to make it out like I'm saying that religion is of no value to Jewish people, to Jewish Christians? No. He said, I'm just holding court to declare emphatically that right there. God's righteousness is needed. I don't care what you know. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how many, I don't care all the religious privilege that God gave you in a previous covenant. 
when you get down to the gospel and its provision and its revelation, all men need God's righteousness. He'll say that kind of emphatically in chapter 3 in reverse, won't he? Romans 3.23. Por cuando todos pecaron y están destituidos de la gloria de Dios. For all have sinned and stand on their own and of their own. Stand fallen short of the glory of God. He just spent three chapters outlining what he said in half a sentence over here. But that's the kind of talk he's got. Evidently, evidently, he wants the church to get a hold of this. Why? Because the devil talked you out of it. Devil will talk you into you did part of it. I've not found that scripture yet. We do our part and God covers the rest. We did our part of righteousness, Bill. How much did we do of it, brother? I'm interested. Who did 15% of righteousness? Just the, per- just the person who did no unrighteousness. Because as soon as I knew a good thing to do it and didn't do it, James 4, 17, what did I do? Has anybody in here ever done all the good they know to do? Then what are we talking about? 15% of what? God's covering 85% of something. What? We got to be careful. You might have got that from the world. You can get it out of the book. You can get it out of the book. This is different terminology. I'm not talking about forgiveness. I'm talking about righteousness. And that's 100%. Or it's 0%. And in reality, you could talk about how negative it is. I stole some bubble gum. I killed four people. Those are not the same. There's different penalties for them. But all of them are what? Unrighteousness. So he wants to make sure everybody knows God has something that you need and you ain't providing 10%, 90%, 75%, 14.3, or .001 of any of it. You need it. You got to have it. If you're going to be in relationship with the one who is absolutely, totally, 100% righteous, if you're going to be his fellow, if you and him are going to have in common, what you can have in common with him is what he offers you. You can't produce it yourself. Just let that soak a little bit. Hopefully that brings lots of questions into your mind. Some of the questions you have right now, you can't articulate them yet. And as we go forward in these chapters, then those questions will start to grow legs and you'll go, hey, I've been thinking, just interrupt me. Okay, just interrupt me because all I want to do is share the revelation of the gospel. That's it. I just want to help us. Let's pray. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we sure do love you, Father. We don't know anybody else like you. Thank you for telling us the truth. Thank you for loving us, Father. And thank you, Father, for, for explaining, explaining in great detail what you were truly offering us in your son. And help us to hear it, Father, like we've never heard it before. It can withstand our questions. It can withstand our curiosity. You're not hiding behind anything, nor are you hiding anything. It is afforded to us, Father, to seek, to seek and consider so that we might find. 
Bless our study of your word, Father. Please bless it in any way that brings you glory and honor and credit for the promise-keeping, powerful God you are. It's through Jesus who bled and died for us. We pray these things now. Amen. Peace. We'll take up there somewhere or other.